Good morning. Great to see you. Man, the weather is so nice. I thought, I thought you'd all be out on the Madison. Just uh, great to see you. Welcome. And uh, we hope the Lord has something for us today that'll be uh, helpful and encouraging. Uh, this is the last in our series, Summer at the Movies. Uh, first, let me say a word about the Global Leadership Summit. I've gone uh, many times. And uh, if you're even, even having the littlest inkling about it, I'd encourage you to check in back at the information desk. Uh, there's always something great. Uh, two days, and I usually go into something like that, and I ask the Lord, now, Lord, what is it? What do you want to lift out of here? And uh, there's always something that just becomes magnified that the Holy Spirit uses. Like, I think, I think this year, one of the speakers is Duckworth, and she's written a book called Grit, which is uh, how, to, how to just keep on keeping on through difficult times. Uh, it's a fabulous book, and so I think there'll be a lot of good things at the Global Leadership Summit. So uh, give that a look. So summer at the movies, and our movie today is uh, Beauty and the Beast. And I, I like children's movies. I, I go to animated movies, even all by myself. I just think they're funny and entertaining. And, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up when there were only, there were only animated cartoons uh, after school at 4 o'clock on NBC and uh, Saturday morning. So the idea of uh, where animation has gone is terrific. And so I enjoy children's movies. This isn't an animated movie, but it is a children's story. Beauty and the Beast is about an enchantress who shows up as a beggar at the palace of a prince. She asks for lodging. She's mocked and refused, and so she puts a spell on the prince, and he becomes a beast. And uh, his status won't change until he learns to love someone and has earned their love in return. And that has to happen before the last petal falls from the rose that she had initially offered the prince in return to refuge. We fast forward to Belle. Belle lives in a local village, a lovely young woman. Her father repairs clocks, and he's out in the forest, loses his way, ends up in the evil prince's palace, who's now the beast. He's imprisoned. She goes looking for him, finds him, exchanges places. Ah, oh, there's an evil guy present. Name is Gaston. Gaston has uh, designs on Belle, and so he maneuvers to try to take the beast's life. We're at the end of the movie where the beast has been shot twice. As he lay dying, Belle, who's learned to appreciate another side of him, is leaning over him. And this is a, about a six-minute clip, so uh, sit back. I've asked the ushers to pass out popcorn. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's the best part, because before we took the offering, I went to two ushers, and I said, you know, it's summer. Offerings are usually down. Let's pass them twice today, shall we? <laughs> and uh, they all stood up for you and said, no, we're not passing them twice. So anyway, here's Beauty and the Beast. You came back. Of course. 
once I came back, I'll never leave you again. I'm afraid it's my turn to leave. We're together now. It's going to be fine. At least I got to see you one last time.
Tu finalmente! Darling! Bitch! I remember! I do! Henry! Henry! Oh, oh dear. Oh. Oh. I've been so lonely. Turn back into a clock. Turn back into a clock. Lumiere, look. Oh, my prince. Hello, old friend. Oh, it's so good to see you. You saved our lives, mademoiselle. Oh, it's me. It's Chip. <laughs> sermon today is, I still believe in happy endings. The Apostle Peter wrote in uh, first, his first chapter, verse 17, live your lives as strangers here. I've been in this uh, business 45 years. In 45 years, you live with a mountain of stories of pain, suffering, disappointment, emotional pain, spiritual pain, relational pain, physical pain. The, uh, the most depressing funeral I ever officiated at was in an upper state of the United States in the middle of winter in severe weather. A young woman, we'll call her name Kelly, who, who had once been in a youth group that I was leader of. Beautiful, she had gone into some modeling. She got married, she married poorly. That didn't go well, they got divorced. But they had, a, they had a, young, a young daughter. And in the very early years of her grade school experience, in the middle of one of these severe winters, she had gone to school. She had her hands full of papers. She was going to show her mom when she got home. She got out of the school bus. The wind caught some of the paper. She walked in front of the school bus in order to pick them up. And the bus drove over her. It was a closed casket funeral. The mom's ex-husband returned for that, the father. He brought his girlfriend with her, who pawed over him during the entire affair. Her dad was an angry man to start with, and he was angry through the whole thing. 
And they decided to have a graveside service. And so with snow piled everywhere on this hillside, and the wind blowing in below zero temperatures, we stood around that empty hole. with nothing but ache in the entire environment. But if we were to take the stories of many of us in this room, and you were vulnerable enough and transparent enough to talk about the pain that you've carried. Would there be a soul big enough in our, in our space here to absorb it? Children who have been profoundly wounded by their parents, parents who have felt the rejection of the children they poured their life into, financial reverses, Betrayal. Physical struggle that nobody ever signed up for and yet there it is sometimes year after year to be experienced by one person, to be cared for by another, robbing both of the life they had anticipated to have together. Relationships that were supposed to bring joy that instead of bring suffering and sorrow and death. And yet here I am, 45 years later, standing on this platform talking to you about hope. For any of us, living in a world what the Bible says is tainted by sin so that everything we touch is not the way it was supposed to be. Remember that old movie, Grand Canyon, where Kevin Klein is a lawyer and he ends up mistakenly in a bad part of time, town which is crime-ridden and uh, Danny Glover runs a wrecking company and he gets the call and he heads out to his car and then a gang shows up and Glover takes a big uh, tool and waves it at the gang and finally the gang dissipates and Glover turns to Klein and says, this is not the way it was supposed to be. So in the midst of that, I still believe in happy endings. I believe in happy endings for at least three things, and these reasons are the things we're going to look at today. Number one, I believe in happy endings because I believe in the resurrection of Christ. John 14, 19 says, because I live, you will live also. And though you and I are trapped in a world that is not the way it's supposed to be, and even in our being here, we struggle, we try, to, we try to work on our character defects, and we try to improve areas in our life, and we try to repair damage that we've experienced, sometimes at our own hand, and sometimes at the hand of others. No matter how we work on it, we so often feel, I just can't quite get there. 
You know, I don't think the Apostle Peter ever got over his fear of people. You study his life in the New Testament, you find that his fear of others dominated his spiritual experience and sometimes derailed his best intentions. And so as we struggle in this world where everything is tainted, nothing is the way it was supposed to be, the Lord tells us, because I live, you will live also. Scripture says, if I have hope in this life only, I am of all people most miserable. So I believe in the resurrection of Christ. That however much I work at things here, the ultimate way out is to see through the mist to the light and to see the risen Christ beckoning me to a different world, to a new world, to a place where the old order is gone and the new order has come. C.S. Lewis said, perhaps his favorite concept is the idea of longing that God has put into all of us, a longing of what was meant to be. And that the evidence of God, the evidence of his existence, is related as much to the longing that we carry, for there is a reality that answers that longing. You know that uh, this, this church, we are part of, uh, we're part of a denomination called the Evangelical Church. One of the reasons the evangelical church was founded was because of the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're part of a group of churches in this region. Our superintendent or overseer is Steve Strutz. Steve Strutz's father was one of the founding leaders of the evangelical church. And one of the events that turned the tide in his decision to be caught, become part of the founding of a new denomination was this event. He and a pastor friend had gone to a meeting of pastors in which there was the discussion about many things related to church. That discussion included basic doctrine. And they got on the doctrine of the resurrection and many, wanted in, many in the room wanted to say it was just a story that we could gather good meanings from and good insight from. Finally, they asked for a show of hands about how many pastors in the room believed in the physical, literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. And four men raised their hands. One was Bob Strutz, and one was the pastor friend that he had come with. And these men left that meeting and said to themselves and to others, we must be part of a group that believes in the inspiration, the divine inspiration of the scripture and the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this truth is core even to our history. So I believe in happy endings because I believe in the resurrection of Christ another reason I believe in happy endings because I believe in the something better God is creating Hebrews 11 says God had planned something better for us now right before this verse there are a series of verses in which 
People are sacrificing enormous, even to the point of death, sacrificing for the gospel of Christ, sacrificing for their faith, and never fully experiencing the benefit of their faith. And in the midst of that, God writes us, but I am planning for something better. I am planning for something better. One of the uh, scriptures we often use at funerals is the scripture out of Thessalonians. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back for you. So that where I am, you may be. Now what does it mean? How good a place is it if God, the creator of the universe, is preparing a place that is designed for you. Now, a prepared place is a neat place. One of the uh, heritages of my childhood was my, my grandmother's love of Christmas. She was a poor woman. She would start shopping for Christmas right after Christmas because she could get little things for almost nothing. And uh, the little things were usually craft things because the primary gift she gave her children and grandchildren were homemade Christmas ornaments. So that today, at Christmas, when our kids come home for Christmas, our Christmas tree is decorated with the homemade ornaments that my grandmother made. And my mom picked that up. And so going home for Christmas was a, was a delightful event not least because when you walked through that kitchen door, you knew she had prepared a place for us. That we were welcome. And there was always certain things. There was baked ham. There were homemade buns that you could smell from outside. There was a Christmas tree decorated with all of her mother's Christmas ornaments that she'd given her. There were presents under the tree it was a prepared place. And it was a place of welcome. And the Lord says, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm working on something better. Whatever you had hoped for in this world, if it doesn't all show up 100%, don't worry. I'm working on something. And wait till you see it. Wait till you see this prepared place I have for you. I was, uh, I was chatting with a younger person who was lamenting to me the present state of the political affairs of the United States. I said, uh, you know, you're, you're talking to the wrong guy if you're talking to me. Let me tell you what I grew up in, I shared. At 13... And then for the next 15 years or so, at 13, President Kennedy was killed. And then his brother was killed. And then Martin Luther King was killed. And then there were the, the civil rights movement throughout the United States and all the anger and all the bitterness and all the violence that that generated. And then there, were, there was Haight-Ashbury and the love movement and the drug culture and... Uh, and the Vietnam War, which tore the country apart. And after that, there was Nixon and Watergate. And after that was 18% interest rates and long lines of the gas pumps. 
15 years of unmitigated bad news. Said at one point, I just stopped watching news altogether. I just thought, I know how to do with this. I'll just pretend it doesn't exist. I just, I just quit, quit watching news. It was just bad news. Day in, day out, day in, day out. In that culture, you and I are meant to be carriers of hope. Carriers of hope. And we begin to believe and we espouse good news. And my mom died a few months ago at the age of 91. Before she died, she was blind. She had a colostomy bag that had to be cleaned and changed every day. She had one tooth left. And though she was suffered in many ways, the one thing she didn't, because she read a lot, and she read her Bible all the time, and she prayed and prayed and prayed that she wouldn't lose her eyesight. And it got worse and worse, and then the Lions Club, all over the United States, provide... uh, Machines that help with lights that help reading and we brought one of those in and I I remember the day still when we had that taken away because the eyesight had now reached the stage where nothing would help. And when the nurse came in, I was in the room and knelt down by her bed and said, now Elsie, we need you to know that you're dying. My mom said, Praise the Lord, I'm on my way. Because she believed that her God had been preparing a place for her. And it was going to be a far sight better than the place she'd been living in the last few years. Even though she had determined during that season to be a blessing to as many people as she could. She had staked her hope. On God saying, I'm going to prepare a better place. I have planned something better. So I believe in happy endings because I believe in the resurrection of Christ. And I believe in happy endings because I believe in the something better God is creating. And I believe in happy endings because I believe that it is Christ who is writing my ending. It is Christ who is writing my ending. You dip over into Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, and we'll just look at two. And here's what we read. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And then the scripture says, behold, all things have become new. Christ is writing the ending of my life. The Bible says, in this world you will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. And in this overcoming state that Christ creates, he writes the ending of my life. Many years ago, I was a, uh, a, a, a youth director of a region of churches. 
So part of my responsibility was work to work with the youth groups of many churches and sponsor uh, summer youth camps and uh, weekend youth retreats during the school year. And in doing, because of that, I got to know the, the youth leaders of many church youth groups. There was one youth group that during the time I was youth director just stood head and shoulders above every other youth group. They were just dynamic. They, they had events where even if there were competing events in the town they were in, young people would go to the events of this church. They were so dynamic and energized and fun and insightful. And at the core of this youth group, the pastor and his wife had two daughters. And these two girls who loved the Lord and served Christ and were a witness to their community, they were the heartbeat of that youth group. And I got to know many of the people in that youth group, but particularly this pastor and his family and these two young women. Over a period of time, then I, I went on to another job. And uh, one day I bumped into one of, these, uh, one of these sisters and I asked her about her life and what was going on. And then I asked her about her sister. And we'll call her name Grace. She's all, haven't you heard? Grace then was a senior in high school. Grace is pregnant. Later on, her mom said, I didn't think it was possible to be in as much pain as I felt. She had a career plan. She was going to go to college and enter journalism. And, but she married the guy that she'd gotten pregnant with, who was also a senior in high school, and life took an entirely different trajectory. So I didn't see Grace for about three years. And I was at a Bible camp, and her parents were some of the workers at that Bible camp. And on the weekend, Grace showed up. As lovely as ever. Now married with a young child. It was our tradition in our background that at a Bible camp at the end of a preaching service, we would have an invitation and there was an altar in the front and people could come forward and kneel at that altar and people would pray with them. And when the, when the, the pastor who was preaching that day finished his sermon, he invited people to come forward and kneel at that altar. And then pastors would come up and pray and I looked up and here came Grace down the middle aisle, knelt at that altar, and uh, her dad, knowing that I knew her, nodded and, to see if I would go kneel down by her and pray with her. And she was kneeling there praying quietly and crying quietly. And I thought, I, what, what do I say? I sat down beside her and I invited the Lord to tell me what to say. And I waited a couple minutes and then I leaned over and next to her ear I said, you're tired, aren't you? And it was like 
a floodgate opened. And she began to weep the kind of weeping where people are having trouble catching their breath and they just heave as they weep. And in that weeping, there was the sorrow for her actions and there was the sorrow for a career lost and there was the sorrow of a struggling marriage and there was the sorrow of the pain of her parents. And she doesn't know. But for me, that event was one of the signal most important events in my life. I got the foundation of my theology for mercy from those 30 minutes at that altar. As she grieved for all that had been lost. And the Lord says he will wipe away every tear There will be no more death and no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. So in this tainted world where no matter how hard we try some of the things we hope for will not find fruition. The Lord invites us to trust in the power of the resurrected Christ. He invites us to believe that he is doing a better thing. And he invites us to wait for that moment when the tears are wiped away and the old order is set aside. Let's bow our heads. We finish up this morning. We wait just a moment with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe it's possible in this room today some of us are wrestling with some things that will never fully be removed this side of heaven. marriage that will never be everything you dreamed it for it to be. A relationship that will never be healed to the extent that you yearn for it to be healed. A physical struggle that you may carry all the way into heaven. And rather than fighting The Lord invites you, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. Today you want to take that thing and just lay it before Jesus and say, I I can't carry this in my power anymore. And if it doesn't get fixed this side of heaven, 
I can wait. If it doesn't get fixed, this side of heaven, I can wait. You talk to the Lord as we wait in prayer. you're involved in a transaction with the Lord this morning, our heads are bowed in prayer and eyes closed. No one's going to embarrass you. But just as a physical declaration that you're giving this to God, say, Lord, will you carry this? This act of trust. If you're praying a prayer like that, just to honor the Christ who is preparing a place for you, would you just slip your hand up and put it down and say, thank you, Lord, I'm making that decision today. Yeah, all the way across, all the way across our our auditorium. You bet, bet. Lord, we know how you care. You tell us that you are a high priest who has been touched in every way like us. Wherever we found ourselves, you were there waiting for us so that we would know we were not alone. For all of these who slipped their hands up and are trusting you with something that means so much to them, Lord, would you honor their faith? Would you encourage their heart? Will you sustain their hope through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord? In his name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net. Thanks.